0: look at Jesus. And uh, we're going to actually start today in John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. And uh, the reason we're starting here is is because a couple, of, well, last year essentially I did a little series on Jesus, and we got up to about John chapter 5, and so that's why we're beginning here. What you need to know is that leading up to this passage of John chapter 5 verses 1 through 15, Jesus has, has accomplished, has done, has performed Uh, All these signs and miracles and wonders. And and all of a sudden, people are really starting to take notice. People are starting to, to follow him. In fact, the crowds are starting to really crush him and crush the disciples. And all of these people have different ideas about who this Messiah is supposed to be and what he's supposed to look like and what he came to do. And uh, one by one, Jesus sort of progressively offends all the different power groups of the day. He offends the Sadducees. He offends the Pharisees. He really offends the zealots. He offends all these different people until he's really left with the small group of people around him. And what he's doing is he's trying to say, look, I came to do something bigger, greater, grander than you have any idea about. Now here in John chapter five, we're actually gonna be reading a story. And this is a story about a lame man who was healed at a pool. But his response uh, to Jesus and his response to some of Jesus' questions we'll see are very, very interesting. And frankly, they have a lot to teach us today here at Seven Hills Fellowship. I'm going to read John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15, and then we'll take a moment and pray. So have a look at the screen or look in your Bibles. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? So Jesus walks past all the other blind people, the lame people, all the other invalids, and he reaches out to one man in a crowd. And he says, "'Do you want to get well?' Verse 7, "'Sir,' the invalid replied, "'I have no one to help me into the pool "'when the water is stirred. "'While I'm trying to get in, "'someone else goes down ahead of me.' "'Then Jesus said to him, "'Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. "'At once the man was cured. "'He picked up his mat and walked. "'The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. "'And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "'It's the Sabbath. "'The law forbids you to carry your mat.'" But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. During these feasts, almost a million people would come crowding into Jerusalem, so it would have been absolutely packed, and Jesus disappeared into this crowd. Verse 14, later Jesus found him, this man who he had healed, at the temple, and said to him, see or look, you're well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's take a moment and let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, this question that you asked a man 2,000 years ago uh, can echo in our ears today. It can ring out in our, in our minds and in our hearts, Father. I pray that we would hear Jesus asking us today whether or not we want to be made well. And Father, it is my prayer that you would give us your spirit, uh, that we would want to want to be made well, Father. And so, Father, we pray all these things today in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> all right, quick question. This is, this is an NFL question, so I have some NFL fans out there. This is for you guys. Um, has anybody ever heard the name Spurgeon Wynn before? Okay, anybody ever heard the name Spurgeon Wynn? Don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard of him, but Spurgeon Wynn. Now, I'm going to put him up on the screen right here. We got a picture of him. Uh, Spurgeon Wynn was was drafted, I think, uh, maybe in like the, I can't remember, 183rd in the draft in 2000, right? He was a quarterback, and so he was drafted by the Cleveland Browns, poor Browns. I love the Browns. I'm a big fan. They're probably my second favorite team, but they've just been terrible forever, you know, so bad. And this is just one of a long list of horrible quarterbacks that they've had over the years. Poor little Spurgeon win. His entire NFL career consisted of throwing one interception in one game. It's the only thing he ever got, right? And then he was traded to the Amsterdam Admirals in 2001. I don't don't know if you guys are familiar with the Amsterdam Admirals, but that's a pretty powerful football team. He went from the Amsterdam Admirals, where he played a little bit, uh, to somewhere in Canada, I believe he was was traded to the British Columbia Lions of the Canadian Football League, all right? From there, he went on to another team in the Canadian Football League called the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, where he spent several more years as a third string quarterback in the CFL for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Do you get where this is going? And then he wound up his professional football career uh, with the Toronto Argonauts, all right? So drafted 183rd. Uh, you know, year 2000, I mean, he really did get to do some neat things. I mean, you get drafted by an NFL team, that's cool. You know, you get to go to Europe and play for the Amsterdam Admirals, that's awesome. You get to go in the CFL, great. You know, that's more than I ever did, right? So he was a pretty wonderful guy, right? Uh, but he didn't exactly have a resounding or successful NFL career. Now, do you know why Spurgeon Win is kind of interesting? The reason he's interesting is not really because of who he is, but it's because of who was drafted immediately after him in 2000. Does anybody have any idea who was drafted right after Spurgeon win? Tom Brady, that's right. And so just, there's a picture of Tom Brady. Now, so Tom Brady has played in, I don't know how many, like I think five uh, Super Bowls. By this point in time, he's won three of them. And uh, he's arguably uh, maybe the best quarterback of, uh, of the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. Now, arguably, like I said, we've got Peyton Manning and we've got some other people that are in that list too but he's been amazingly successful, right? And he was drafted right after Spurgeon Wynn. You know, just, just imagine the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. Now, granted, I guarantee this guy is no longer in the business, right? He is a high school something somewhere doing something. You know, he's the GM for somebody else somewhere, some indoor arena football league team. But just imagine this guy. Every time that the, the former general manager of the Cleveland Browns looks and sees Tom Brady on the screen, he thinks, I drafted Spurgeon Wynn. I could have had Tom Brady. What a terrible choice, you know? And what's interesting is, you know, you got to give a hard time to whoever the general manager of the Browns was at the time. But think about it. 31 other teams passed on Tom Brady over and over and over and over again. And all the while, the guy that would have absolutely positively been the savior of their organization was waiting for them, and somehow the New England Patriots made that right decision back in 2000. Now, here's the point. The point is, this is that we're faced with choices all the time. We're faced with choices about what's actually going to save us. We're faced with choices about what's actually going to make us right, what's going to heal us. And we choose all the wrong things over and over and over again. Just like the general manager of the Browns, just like all those 31 other teams when they passed on Tom Brady over and over and over again. There's only one choice that can actually save us. There's only one choice that can heal us completely, and that's when we choose Jesus. Now listen to the words of John chapter 1. I'm going to put them up on the screen here. Now John is writing this, and we don't know all the details about the book of John, but he's a pastor in Ephesus. And so John is writing the entire book of John um, as a record of his experience with Jesus, but he's also writing like any good pastor with would, and he's trying to make a point. And part of the point that John is trying to make is, uh, is that the world missed out on Jesus. They, they didn't choose him. They, they rejected him, right? So listen to wor- the words of John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to, the, to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him, right? All these people. Here's Jesus in their midst, in Jerusalem, walking around in this crowded city with all these people here for this feast, and everybody missed him, right? They were all choosing other things to try to save themselves, but only one choice was the right choice, and that was to choose Jesus, because only Jesus can make us truly well. And that's part of what we see in this story today with this lame man. Let's actually, I'm gonna read a section, verses one through six again. And the point of this little section is that we've gotta make a choice. And we've got to choose uh, if we truly want to be made well. We've gotta make that choice. It's kind of a starting point for us all. And I think Jesus makes that point with this man. Starting at verse one. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Again, we're not told which one it is. Most likely it was the Passover. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When he saw Jesus, or when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he, or Jesus, asked him, do you want to get well? Now, I'm going to read that question a couple more times with different um, inflections of my voice so you kind of get the point. Because he could, Jesus could be asking it in lots of different ways. He could be saying, do you want to get well? See, that's option one, right? Or he could, be, he could be asking it like this. Do you want to get well? Right? It's totally different, right? And I think that's sort of the point here is that Jesus is asking one of those questions that's a diagnostic question that's trying to cut through all the noise is trying to cut through all the static, is trying to cut through all the craziness and go to the very center of this man's heart, the intent of Jesus' question is, do you really want to be made well? Is that what you really want deep down in your heart? And it sounds like a little bit of a foolish question, or it maybe sounds a little bit offensive. You know, here's this guy, he's laying out by a pool, and, uh, and the idea of this pool is that um, the tradition or superstition had it that an angel would come and stir the waters, and if you got in first, you'd get healed. And this guy was basically saying, I can't get in. And, and so Jesus is saying, but do you really want to? Do you really want to be made well? And what's amazing about this passage is the guy's answer, right? He doesn't answer Jesus. He doesn't go, yes, I absolutely want to be made well. Right, he could respond that way, or he could have responded by, by like in sort of fatigue and exhaustion. He could have responded, I want to be made well. But instead, he answers by giving excuses and by blaming people. That question, do you want to be made well? read an article recently by a former alcoholic, a a woman whose name was Nadia Bowles. And I may or may not have it on the screen. I can't remember. But she actually had read this passage, and it meant something to her as a now-recovered alcoholic. Listen to her take on this uh, story of Jesus and his interaction with this man. She says this, I don't want to be a jerk, but seriously... (laughs) (laughs) that's the guy's answer not to diminish his illness but it makes me wonder what the payoff might have been to staying ill since when asked if he wanted to be made well he didn't seem very interested this is a sticky issue but this week i started thinking about how hard it is to be honest about the payoffs we get from things we say we want to be free from you can ask any alcoholic in recovery about this when I was still drinking, I'd bemoan my hangovers and the fact I couldn't manage to keep a decent job. But there was a payoff. I got to live without any real responsibility and do as I liked no matter how it affected others. And the best payoff was that I got to be inebriated whenever life or basic human emotions or the results of my bad decisions started feeling too bad. In other words, what Nadia Boltz is saying here, this former alcoholic after reading this passage, is she's saying, I've been there before. And she said, there were lots of times where I didn't want to be made well. I wanted to stay just like I was because the payoffs were too good. And so Jesus' question for us needs to go down deep into your hearts and you need to ask, and you need to ask yourself whether or not you truly want to be made well. Think about it for just a second. What if Jesus were here this morning? What if you were the one that he walked up to in this crowd of people? And what if he asked you Do you want to be made well? Some of us, like Nadia, have struggled with addiction for much of our adult life. Or maybe it started when we were in junior high or in high school. And maybe there's a payoff for you. And you look at that and you kind of go, well, if I could actually just sort of keep doing the thing I'm addicted to, and at the same time just keep being forgiven for it, then that's kind of the perfect deal. Because that way I get to have my cake and I get to eat it too. And so maybe what you would really tell Jesus if he stood in front of you is you may say, "Mm, not really. I love that thing so much. I don't actually want to be freed from it. What about some of you who love to gossip? You know, I mean, I'm a human being and I'm not a huge gossiper, but every now and then it's sort of fun to talk about somebody behind their back in some way that makes you look better, right? You know, I can do that with some other pastor or somebody else who's in ministry or some other soccer player or some other father or somebody that I feel threatened by. And some of you love sort of that that feeling being able to talk about somebody else it feels so good and maybe that's your thing and maybe if god came up to you and said do you really want to be set free from that do you really want to be made well if you answered truthfully and you would have to because jesus could read your heart and mind you might have to say not really i love it man it's so good you know those dirty jokes that i tell i love those too you know that gluttony that i struggle with man i love it i love the payoff from that you know, the unwillingness to forgive that I harbor against my mother or my father or that ex-boyfriend or that person that offended me or that boss, I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to be made well. I, I like that. That anger that I have towards that person who did whatever to me makes me strong. It protects my heart. If being well means that I've got to give that up, I don't know that I want to be made well. But you need to hear Jesus asking you this morning, sitting in this room, do you want to be Made well, really. The next thing we see in this passage is that we also have to make another choice. And the other choice we have to make is what we're going to put our hope in in order to be made well. Because some of us actually do want to be made well. And so we're faced with all these different options that exist out in the world of what to trust in or put our hope in in order to be made well. But let's look really quickly at this man uh, here in John chapter 5 and see how he responds to Jesus. He says this in verse 7 Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. In other words, what the man is doing is he's saying, I've put my trust in these other people, right? And no one's there to help me get down into the pool, right? And so on the one hand, he says, I've trusted in people and it hasn't worked. That's good that he maybe realizes that, but he's blaming them for his sickness still. And then he goes on to say, when the water is stirred, and so he's putting his trust not only in these people, but he's also putting his trust in this superstition, superstitious belief that when this water is stirred, he could be made well, and he has one more opportunity, and he blames again. He says, while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me, right? And so he's trusting in other people, he's trusting in this superstition, and then he's blaming these other people for getting in front of him. Does that make sense? And what Jesus is doing as he's asking him this question, is he's not only forcing him to ask himself the question about whether or not he truly wants to be made well, but Jesus is also forcing him to sort of look in reality at what he is trusting in and what he's not trusting in. And the question is, again, for us, who or what do we trust in in order to be made well, right? In order to be made right, in order to be made the true human being that we sort of know down deep inside that we're supposed to, to be, right? What are we trusting in? What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? One of the things we trust in is a romantic relationships. You know, we live in the southeast, right? People still get married here. We still watch fairy tales. You know, we, we you know, some of our, us grew up in families where, you know, from when we were young, our parents were sort of pushing us to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And really, you grow up thinking, you know, if I can just find that perfect other person, that, that man or that woman, well, that will make everything right, all my problems will be solved. I'll be saved. I'll be made well, okay? If you think that, I want to invite you to stay after church today for a few minutes and ask all the married people who want to speak into that to come down front and give you the reality of that situation, right? But the truth is we do it, right? And, and what's funny is we don't just do it when we're single. We also do it when we're married, right? You know, I've sat through too many counseling sessions before to know that there are people out there who go, oh, I made the wrong decision married the wrong person if only i had married that person that i work with you know that's that's actually really the person that would make me complete that's actually really the person that would make me well you know or you know in that that context of you know wherever you maybe work out you know you see that other person and you think oh i can't believe i married that person that's the person that would have completed me that's the person that would have made me truly human right they would have made me well and it's just wrong listen to what c.s lewis says it's a mere christianity He talks about the fool's way. That's the fool's way to think that somehow someone else would have completed you. The fool's way, he goes on all his life thinking that if only he tried another woman or went for a more expensive holiday or whatever it is then, this time he really would catch the mysterious something we're all after. And part of what that mysterious something is, is true humanity, right? Most of the bored, discontented, rich people in the world are of this type, They spend their whole lives trotting from woman to woman through the divorce courts, from continent to continent, from hobby to hobby, always thinking that the latest is the real thing at last and always they end up disappointed. What do you put your trust in to make you whole, to make you well? Is it a romantic relationship? Is it travel? Is it working out? Is it diet? Is it education? Is it the best clothes? Is it if I only had a baby, then I would be well. Everything would be right. What are you going to put your trust in? The final thing we see in this passage is that we must also choose who is going to be our ultimate authority. Look, starting at verse nine. It says this, "'The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. "'And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, "'It's a Sabbath. "'The law forbids you to carry your mat.'" But he replied. Now, before you read it, you're probably reading it right now. Stop reading it. Okay? <clears throat> so, put yourself in the shoes of the invalid who'd been an invalid for 38 years. Most of you haven't been alive for 38 years. But if you had been, and you had just been healed, right? And all of a sudden, you know, this person heals you, and you pick up your mat, and you're walking out, and somebody comes up to you and says, Hey, man, it's the Sabbath. The law you, forbids you to carry your mat. How would you respond? I'd be like, The law? Who cares about the law? I just got healed after 38 years. Are you kidding me? You should be be looking for whoever that was because that guy's the Messiah. Or at least he's a prophet. He's something special, right? That's how he should respond. But look what he says. But he replied, blame. He's got some blame issues. The man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Not, I'm healed. You know, I'm made well. I'm finally the way that I was supposed to be. Rather... He goes, well, that guy told me to get up and and walk. So they asked him, who is the fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into that Passover crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, look, man, see you're well again. Now stop sinning or something worse may actually happen to you. What could be worse than 38 years of being an invalid? What could be worse is a lifetime or an eternity of being separated from God. How do you think the man's going to respond to that? Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. In other words, he turns Jesus in. He makes a choice. He chooses who his ultimate authority is going to be. He weighs the options and he says, I can either please these people who everybody looks up to and everybody likes and these people that have all the power or i can choose as the ultimate authority this man who healed me and he made his choice he chose the pharisees he chose the jews right i've got to save myself is what he does essentially my authority is either going to be me or it's going to be these guys but he chooses somebody other than jesus he he chooses spurgeon win right that's who he chooses now I watched easily the worst Matrix movie the other night. Like, there's three of them, and the first is good. Right? The second is not very good, and the third is terrible. Krista, my loving, patient wife, sat there and watched it with me. And the whole time, we would just sort of chuckle and look at each other because it was just so bad, okay? It just was. But there is, and I'm sorry if you love the third Matrix movie. You're just wrong. Anyway, <laughs> um, but there's a, there is a good scene. And, of course, it's, it's trying really hard to be deep. And uh, there is a scene at the very end where the bad guy... In the movie, Smith has this big confrontation with Neo, and uh, and it's sort of the last battle. It's where it's going to all end. And Smith confronts uh, Neo by saying this, Why, Mr. Anderson, why, 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 why do you do it? Why get up? Why keep fighting? Do you believe you're fighting for something, for more than your survival? Can you tell me what it is? Do you even know? And so Smith is the bad guy, right? He's the computer program that's fighting against Neo. He says, Is it freedom or truth? Perhaps peace? Could it be for love? Illusions, Mr. Anderson, vagaries of perception, temporary constructs of a feeble human intellect trying desperately to justify an existence that is without meaning or purpose, and all of them as artificial as the matrix itself, although only a human mind could invent something as insipid as love. You must be able to see it, Mr. Anderson. You must know it by now. You can't win. It's pointless to keep fighting. Why, Mr. Anderson? Why? Why do you persist? To which Neo responds, because I choose to, right? Now, again, the point of this passage is that we have a choice to make. Who is your ultimate authority? Who are you going to trust in? Do you believe that you really can be made well? Are you willing to be made well? You have a choice to make. Are you going to trust In the Democrats or the Republicans, can either of them die on the cross for you to save you from your sins? Are you going to trust in family or freedom? Can either of those things raise you from the dead? The answer of this story to the question is that only Jesus can truly make you well. So what I want to do today is I want to say, look, we saw it here in this story today. This man was faced with the obvious decision that only Jesus could make him well. Only Jesus could save him from his sins. Only Jesus could raise him from the dead one day. Only Jesus could give true meaning to his life. My, my push for you this morning, my desire for you this morning is that you would simply turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I choose you and I choose to be made well. Let's take a moment let's pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus um, is like a good doctor and uh, maybe a good oncologist, and that Jesus uh, reveals to us that we've got uh, some brokenness in us. We've got rebellion. We've got sin. And Father, we know from our experience as human beings that if we... Don't do something about that sin. If we don't do something about that brokenness, that it is absolutely going to destroy us—not only physically, Father, not only spiritually, but psychologically and emotionally. And Father, Jesus then asks us the question about whether or not we truly, really, deeply want to be made well. And Father, just to be honest with you, sometimes we do, and sometimes we don't. And and the thought of being made well is scary. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us your Spirit so that we might be able to answer Jesus by saying that, Father, we do desire to be made well. And, Father, I pray that your Spirit would also give us the ability to trust completely in your Son, Jesus, in order that we might be made well. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.